Thanks for tuning in to the Voyage Church Podcast. Our desire is that today's message will be significant for all of us on the voyage of becoming. Just wrecked by Jesus, y'all. Come on. And, and Joe Barry, who does all of our videos, who was just playing drums, he worked really hard on Saturday on that. Um, he literally had to go through 662 GoPro videos. Y'all, that's, that's a test from the Lord. I said, thank God there weren't a few more videos. You'd have been having to delete. We ain't, we ain't receiving 666 videos. No, sir. The devil's a liar. Um, but man, it's just an incredible week. If you see somebody, I encourage you to talk with them. If you're a young person in the room and you're sitting there and you're like, I had the chance to go and I didn't go, don't worry. It's more opportunity. But I just challenge you young people in the room, look at me. Don't think that getting into school this next year, and I know you've got things, you need to be involved in sports. Why? Because you need to be a light in the darkness, right? You need to be involved in things. But don't you dare receive the lie that church takes a back seat. Every area of your life that you want to flourish will only flourish if you're planted in the house of the Lord. So young people, plant yourself in the house and watch every other area flourish. It's a promise of God. And guess what? He's never lied, and he's not starting with you. He's not starting with you. I'm excited to see what God's going to do with Voyage Youth. We'll tell you some more coming up really soon, um, something that's going to happen in September. But uh, I got to jump quick. Um, we obviously had uh, testimonies. It's great. We're 15 minutes past the time that I should be preaching, which means that this probably will go longer than expected, which means just give me grace because I'm not preaching for the next like four weeks after this, okay? For the next four weeks, um, next week, I encourage you don't miss a single week. Our voyage overseers, which is the people who sit on the board of directors that are our pastors, speak wisdom into Shauna and I and help us um, when it comes to accountability and encouragement. Um, these are the people that we meet with, we reach out to, and it's like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> people are crazy, and so am I, right? Um, these are the people, and so I'm excited. They're just, they're flying in, driving in hours just to cover the platform so that Shauna and I can figure out life with twins from two to four. Um, and so just, we need y'all's prayers. Pray, pray, pray. Um, but this next month's going to be incredible. But we've been in a series called Live Life Well. If it's your first time here, I want to give you some context. Shauna got this statement from the Lord years ago um, as we were preparing for Voyage Church, and it was Live Life Well. And she said, I feel like this, what, what God's putting in our hearts is to teach people how to live life well. And what that means is, is not like some, you know, perfect life with no problems. It means that the principles of Jesus are the best way to live. And when you give your life to Jesus and you live his way, it doesn't mean easy, it doesn't mean perfect, but it means we can live life well. And I believe it's the very kind of life that people take notice of. They go, oh, how, how are you going through the same kind of divorce I'm going through, but you've got peace, you've got joy, you've got this confidence about you. And I'm telling you, that is when we build our lives on the things of Jesus. And so really what we've done all summer with Live Life Well is we've talked about foundations. We've talked about the foundation of God's word that was first and foremost. This is an absolute truth. There is no errors in it. It is perfect. Its truth is timeless, which is what I love, right? It's Yes, there are historical things in here, but it's not like, oh, that was just for them. No, these truths work in every it doesn't matter what nation you're in, what culture you're in, or what time frame you're in, 
This is God's word, and it never fails. It never passes away. We talked about the foundation of worship. If you weren't here for that week, I encourage you to go back to the podcast. Jonathan and I taught on the seven different Hebrew words for praise and worship that many people will be like, well, this is just how I worship. I just stand. And look, it's a voyage. It's a journey. You go on your voyage. But I'm just telling you that every word for praise and worship scripturally has an expression tied to it. Every single one. Every single one. And it's because it, everything God does starts inwardly, but it always manifests outwardly always manifest outwardly. And this is the God we serve, that he actually, when you think, oh, well, my personality isn't that kind of personality, the beautiful thing about God and his goodness is you don't need a certain kind of personality to honor him with worship. Whew, you let that sit in. When you get to heaven and you're in his presence, God, it's just not my personality, sorry. Just, it's not really my thing. No, no, no. The Bible says that angels fly, the, 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 the seraphs, they've got six wings. With two wings, they cover their face, and with two wings, they cover their feet, and they fly around his throne. And doesn't matter what angle they get of God's throne, they just say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, and they never stop. They never stop day and night. They've been doing it eternally. They never stop. I'm telling you, when you're in his presence, your response immediately is going to be worship. So why not build the foundation now, right? And so we talked about the foundation of worship. We talked about the foundation of freedom, that Look, following Jesus, the church of Jesus Christ is not something that's supposed to lock us down. Following Jesus is not, I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't go there. Following Jesus is, I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. Definitely don't have to do that anymore because that was shame and regret. I get to live in freedom. I get to walk in grace. I get to have peace. That's the kingdom. And that's the foundation of freedom. And then we talked about the foundation of prayer. That prayer, we get to go to God's throne room. Hebrews says that you can boldly approach the throne of grace. That word boldly, we talked about it. It's as if you kick a door down. It's not like, well, God, I messed up and I feel bad coming to you. No, if you're a parent in the room and your kid messes up, you want them to freely come to you. You want them to come and admit what's going on so you can be there for them. And that's what prayer is. Man, it's just access to God because of Jesus. And the last week we talked about the foundation of faith. We talked about the foundation of faith and how um, it's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible. You can't do it. You can't do it. And remember, we, we had the water hose, and we talked about the seed of faith. And remember, we are saved by grace through faith. Faith is the way that everything from God gets to you. The woman with the issue of blood, she touched Jesus. She was healed instantly. What happened? Jesus says, your faith made you well. It wasn't faith that healed her. It was Jesus that healed her. But her faith is what got the power from Jesus to her. Faith is, this is the way we said it last week, faith is a currency in the kingdom of God. Faith is literally a way that we can transact and receive what God has for us. And what's beautiful about faith is Jesus says faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. But it's not that we're supposed to just have seeds, but we're supposed to have growing faith. Amen? Last week was incredible. I think so many people took steps. The altars were full of people just saying, I'm taking a step of faith, and I'm going to have growing faith wherever you find yourself. So today I've been just in the word all week, wrecked by... Um, this message that I just really feel like is um, appointed to preach now as Shauna and I transition for a month and, and, and kind of take some time, but I really think God's doing something super special in our church. Like, I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen this many people in the room, so like God's just moving, amen? And so, yeah, come on, that's the Lord, right? That's not us. Jesus builds his church. It's his church, not our church, so we're just here to say, Jesus, do what you want to do. Someone asked me the other day, how's it going? I said, it's going fast. I'm just hanging on. <laughs> I'm just hanging on but I don't ever wanna let go. Like he's just too good, right? And so he's doing something. And so I really sense the Lord tell me to preach a message titled this, write this down if you're taking notes. Remember, note takers are history makers. 
And I promise you, if I got a bunch of notes and I ain't going to remember them, you ain't going to remember it. And the other reason to take notes is because you might take a note now that means nothing to you. When we talk about seeds, some of these notes are seeds for a version of you in five years that you need to find. And it might not make sense now, but God has you write it now for later. Anybody ever eaten a now and later? Yeah, some of y'all still. You was chewing it back then. Now you're chewing it later. It was now and later. That's the, that, that's the word of God. It'll do something now, but sometimes it seeds for later. Amen? This is the title of the message. Count the cost. It's time to build. Count the cost. It's time to build. So we've talked about all these things with the foundation, right, of live life well. Today, I want to go beyond foundation. I don't know if Josh is back there or any Joshes are back there. Um, that Josh, I don't know if you can find one of those pictures that I showed uh, several weeks back. Yeah, there it is. So when we started this series, my dad's built three of the houses that we lived in. Well, take that back. Dad built two houses that I lived in. Once me and my sister got out, he's like, all right, let's fix all our mistakes, Kim, my, uh, my mom. And he's like, yeah, let's build the house that we want. And then we didn't get to enjoy the, the best stuff. But anyways, this is the first house my dad ever built. And uh, he had a bunch of friends from the church come. And my dad built everything. I'm talking, I was with dad clearing the land. Dad dug the footers. He poured the foundation. He built the wall. I mean, he, he had guys, they put the trusses on. I mean, they did some Definitely not safe, just not safe in any way you cut it. Um, but I remember being out here 12, 13 years old watching these men lay a foundation. And it's crazy that you actually can't lay a foundation like this alone. You can't. See, the foundation of your faith, people are like, oh, I love Jesus. I just don't do the church thing. Your foundation's weak. Your foundation's weak. Because you need the church. You need the kingdom. You need the people. Amen? And so the foundation is so important. But once the foundation's built, I promise you there's not a single house my dad did the foundation, was like, dang, that's good. All right, that's all I wanted to do. Just a slab, nothing else. It's not a basketball court. It's built for a house. And usually once the house is built, no one walks in to a beautiful house and goes, woo, look at that foundation. Yeah, no one does this. But we understand that the beauty that you see and its longevity exists because of a firm foundation. I want to show you what the scripture says about foundation, and then what we're going to do the rest of the day is we're going to talk about what are you building your life on? What are you building your life with? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, the apostle Paul writes this, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it, but each person must be careful how he builds on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I know we talked about word, worship, freedom, prayer, faith, all of those things. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the foundation. For your life, when it comes to your dreams, your career, your future, if Jesus is not the foundation, everything you will build for the rest of your life will be in vain. Go ahead and get success in the world's eyes and watch yourself still not be fulfilled. Because without Jesus as the foundation, but can I tell you? Many people think, well, if Jesus is my foundation, then I've, got to, then I've got to cut back on my dreams and my business ventures. No, 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 no. I believe that if you build on the firm foundation, not only does God want to actually have the kingdom of God shine where the world turns and takes notice, I think he'll bless business ventures. I think he'll do incredible things with it because people will remain generous, building the house of God, not making it about them, but making it about him. And I think people will step back and be like, I don't understand how that's happening. Wait, Chick-fil-A, you're telling me that you only work six days a week and you make more than Burger King, McDonald's, and Wendy's combined? I don't get it. Wonder if there's a principle that they found out called honor the Sabbath, and they've done it, and God's blessed it. Christian chicken, baby, let's go. I'm just telling you. 
God either is alive or he's not, but if Chick-fil-A is doing that good, I think he might be alive. Will you pray with me as I unpack some stuff? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're the teacher. You lead us and guide us in all truth. Will you reveal your word today? God, we want to squeeze every bit of revelation out so that we can be more like Jesus. And we pray it in your name. Everybody said amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 14. Luke 14. I've got two passages I'm going to read really fast because I have a lot of revelation I want to unpack. Um, And so I encourage you to write this down, follow along. Um, I'm going to be reading Luke 14 um, in the NLT. Uh, A lot of times I like to preach out of the NASB, which is the most accurate when it comes to Hebrew to English and Greek to English. But I'm reading the NLT because there's a word that they use in here that I I really hope um, will help all of us. And I'll, I'll explain it when I get there because there's some really harsh language in this passage. And this harsh language needs to be understood or you'll walk away and be like, Jesus is a jerk. Um, And he's not, okay? And so uh, I'm going to unpack some things here for us. Luke chapter 14. A large crowd was following Jesus, and he he turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, everybody say by comparison. This is the word that's really important that I I like that the NLT uses, because if you dig in to the Greek, the, the, the few words that are used, this is implied in the statement, but the English language is weak, and so we struggle when it comes to... um, breaking things down and bringing it over. But it says, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, some of the teenagers are like, amen. Just listen, listen. Father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. This is really strong language that Jesus is using. And the reason he's using it is because Jesus was always using language that kind of stirred up culture. So in this culture, you would be treated, it would be treated as almost a legal matter if you were to desert your family. Families lived together. I mean, you took on the trade of your family. Most of the houses in that time, the way they were built, you built onto the side and onto the top. Like, some of y'all are like, man, I'm just annoyed that my mom lives five minutes down the road. Bro, you don't know nothing. Like, I mean, this was great. Like, families were families. It was all together. And so it would actually be considered against the law to desert someone's family. So when Jesus is making this statement, he's using harsh language because people understand what he's saying is, look, it's going to look radical if you say yes to following me. Because you might have family members who say, are you ludicrous? You're following some man who's just walking around doing these miracles and says he's the son of God. And you're going to give up everything. You're going to drop your nets. You're going to quit your li- livelihood. And you're going to follow him. And then they thought it was maybe forever. But he only stayed for three years. And then he died. But then killed death. And then ascended to heaven. And then sent his spirit. Like, there were some family members that were like, are you kidding me? I mean, this happens right now. If you go to the Middle East in a country that's majority Muslim country, there are young men and women who are saying yes to Jesus. And they don't only, not only does the family feel that they deserted them, they have to run away because their family will actually get them assassinated and they will be martyred for Christ. Mothers will literally rat out their daughters for turning to Jesus. On the planet right now in 2022, this is not back in the old days. This is as you are breathing in this very moment. You're blessed to live where you live. You're blessed to gather in this room under the name of Jesus without fear of persecution at that level. And Jesus is making the statement, when you say yes to me, by comparison, it might look like hate. And again, you have to understand for this culture, this makes a lot of sense. And he says this in Matthew 10, 37, if you love your father and mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. I hope that that gives some context to it. It's not like teenagers don't leave today and be like, well, dad, sorry. Hate you. Love Jesus, though. Like that. It is. Moms, I know you love your babies. 
but your babies don't get to sit in the seat that Jesus is supposed to sit in. They actually need you to let Jesus sit in his seat because you won't be who he's called you to be if Jesus isn't sitting there. Husbands, your wives can't be in that seat. Your business can't be in that seat. Your son's baseball career can't be in that seat. I just want to be clear that in America, we've done a really good job of saying like, hey, Jesus, I know you sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Could you just sit at the right hand of, right hand of me right here? Because I got some things that just need to sit there. I got some stuff that needs my attention more than you. It's not the kingdom. And Jesus is letting us know, look, it's going to look crazy if you say yes to me. And then he goes on in verse 27, and he says this, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. I grew up in church, hashtag church kids with a Z, um, like that was me. I've heard this scripture any way you want to cut it. I've heard it in every version. I've seen guys have someone carry a cross down the middle of the circle. Like I've seen it all. I've heard the scripture, carry your cross. I met a guy on 441, which is, I, I lived in a town called High Springs. 441 is a um, highway that goes all the way down through Florida, and I, I I can remember watching a guy right outside of First Baptist Church of High Springs where I grew up, and he's carrying a giant cross with wheels on the back. I was like, you cheating? But he was carried it all the way. He carried it across the nation. I can't, I can't do him like that. Carried across all the way across the nation from one side of the United States to the other. This is crazy. It was a big old cross, too. And he stopped at our church, and I remember my dad and some of the deacons talked with him. And I just remember hearing them, carry my cross, carry my cross, carry my cross. But I get it. Maybe it was like a little bit of sacrifice. But Jesus makes a statement, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. I'm going to be honest. I think in the church, we've done a poor job to tell people, carry your cross. What's that mean? Like, Follow Jesus. Jesus literally says, if you don't carry it, you can't be his, but we can't clearly define it. What a tragedy. And so I began to just really dig. I know that many scriptures, we've got to dig into historical context to understand this. And I came across something in my, since nine years old, I'm 34 now, of following Jesus, being in church, whether I wanted to be there or not, because my mom and dad didn't give me a choice. Parents, I turned out okay. I'm just letting you know. You got them in a great church. It's going to be fun here. It's not going to be boring. Your teenager doesn't get to pick Xbox over Jesus. You're still the parent. I'm just telling you, say, hey, no, you're going to be found in the house of the Lord. If you want to step out when you get older, you can step out. But I... I dare you not to. See what God will do. Anyways, sorry. I've been a youth pastor for far too long. I was, I was beginning to dig, and it says, when the Roman Empire crucified a criminal or someone who was held captive, the victim was forced to carry their cross part of the way to the crucifixion site. Now, if you're like a grammar person, you might know this word, but it would be considered a tacit, or which is like a forced admission by the person carrying the cross through the Roman streets, and this is what they were, Rome basically was wanting this to do. It says, um, and this is from several theologians, the Bible knowledge commentary, you can look this up if you're one of those Bible heads like me. The Roman Empire, basically it was an admission that the Roman Empire was correct in the sentence of death imposed on the person. It was an admission that Rome was right and they were wrong. That's why they had to carry their cross. So Jesus looks at his disciples and says, Remember, he hasn't carried a cross yet. So why is he using this language? Unless it was a cultural language that the disciples knew for someone to carry a cross, it was for them to say, Rome is right and I'm wrong. And Jesus is saying, carry your cross and follow me. I'm right and you're wrong. But you want to hear the beauty of the gospel? Carry your cross and follow me. And in doing so, I'll make you right. 
I'll make you the righteousness of God in me. I'll move you from being wrong to being in right standing with God because you picked up your cross and you followed me. Bro, I don't care what anybody thinks. I know there could be people in the room. You got drugged here by a friend or family member. You're like, man, this is whack. Bro, you can think whatever you want to think. Look, God's not going to force you to follow him. You, literally, you can do what you want to do. I'm convinced. I'm convinced he is who he says he is. I know that he's too good. I know that when I carry the cross, I've gone from being wrong to being made right. And there's nothing better than being in right standing with God. To carry your cross is to say Jesus is right, and I'm not. But that declaration somehow in this whole beautiful transaction of the gospel, something happens, and he makes you right with him. And he continues on. He says, but don't begin until you've counted the cost. Everyone say count the cost. For who, will begin, who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. Thanks, Jesus. Appreciate it. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. In other words, he's saying there's got to be calculation here. If you're going to say yes to Jesus, hear me out. It's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything. And I know some of you are like, what, you just want me to quit my job? No, no, no. I, I think, I, I know when you hear the disciples, they just drop their nets and follow him. When, when I mean it costs you everything, it costs you everything, every bit of the comfort that you have in your job and the way you're doing it. Well, I don't really talk about church much. I don't really like do all the, no, no, no. Literally where your light is so bright that darkness just has to take a step back when you walk in. And not in like a, I'm better than you, I'm greater than you. No, in a way where people lean in and are like, what is that grace? What is that love? What is that mercy? Man, I don't even believe what you believe, but I am just captivated, captivated by the thought that you love people the way you do. I love when someone walks into church and is like, dude, I'm not about it. But honestly, bro, I respect it. Like, dude, the love that I felt when I walked in here, this is crazy. I mean, I think you guys are, are whack, but I, this, is, this is incredible. And I, I respect that back. You know why? Because... If someone doesn't say yes to Jesus, they should still experience the love of Jesus if they're around people who have, right? And so he's saying, you've got to calculate this thing. You've got to count the cost. And then he goes on. And so he goes from counting the cost about building, talks about war, and then look what he says at the end. He says, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. I'm not telling you to go sell your boat today. I think the question is, Stop thinking that you own what you own and offer it to the Lord and allow him to allow you to steward what you have and just say, God, how do you want to use it? God's blessed you with a great house. God, how do you want to use this house? God, do you want me to let teenagers over to swim in my pool? I'll never forget Miss um, Annie Wittenberg and her husband Tim reaching out and saying, hey, our house is open. If young people, you know, if you need to do anything, they've done some meetings over there. Youth camp meeting was over there. Someone has just says, here's what we've got and we'll just let the Lord use it how he wants and, and, and ask yourself, inventory your life and say, okay, God, what do you want to use with what I've got? But look, look at the last analogy he uses. Salt is good for seasoning. All the people in the South said amen. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? The answer is you don't. Flavorless salt is good for neither soil nor for the manure pile. I'm going to be honest. I had to look this up. I was like, I don't know what that means. I'm like, why would I put salt in manure? It was thought in those times, there's still people who do it today, that the salt and the manure would actually help fertilization of soil. And there was a certain kind of salt in 
in this region that they also would just throw on plain soil, and it would actually prevent anything from growing there if there was an area that they wanted to stay without growth because they didn't have weed killer. Yeah, they weren't selling it yet. I don't know. Home Depot was struggling. It's a joke. You can, you can laugh. All right. Flavorless salt is good for neither soil or manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Praying this week, and I just feel like the Lord says there's a foundation. It's Jesus. Build it on his word, worship, prayer, freedom, faith. But you've got to count the cost. In every area of your life, your business, your relationships, stepping into a dating relationship, young people or even older people, holla, like you, you're stepping into a dating relationship, listen to me. There is no way you can process it in your mind that it's worth it if Jesus isn't the center of it. Don't be fooled. Don't believe the lie. I'm telling you, in Jesus, all things hold together. You've got to count the cost. But even when it comes to this thing with Jesus, you've got to count the cost. Is it worth it? Chuck, I need you to run back to the green room. And when you run back there, it's not a green room. There's no green in there, actually. Run back there. um, And next to the chair I was sitting in, there's a mason jar with a lid on it. It's it's empty. I need you to grab that for me because I need that for the end of my message. Everybody give it up for Chuck. We have to count the cost. To build our lives on the foundation of Jesus isn't easy. It's worth it. It's worth it. I just need you to understand what God's doing here. Like, we're not interested in popular. We're interested in powerful. That's who Jesus is, okay? And when it comes to counting the cost, it's really important for us to understand something. And I wrote, write this down if you're taking notes. Cost reveals conviction. Thank you. Cost reveals conviction. Here's what I mean by that. Have you ever seen an item that you're thinking about buying and you are torn. I met with someone the other day. Uh, I can't remember who it was. Oh, I think it was Logan. Logan, we were talking, and you're like, you over, you research everything. Look, we were having dinner, and Logan was like, man, I research everything. He's like, man, I'm telling you, like, I will find any country. I'll find out if one country's got an issue with it. He's going to figure it out before he buys it because you're counting the cost. But can I tell you, we do this where we look and we go, I'm convinced this is worth buying. There's others of us or other situations where we count the cost. And then we talk with a few friends and have a few experiences. I remember with something with our house. We, we talked with Mary about one thing, and she was like, look, I'm just going to give you my advice. She's a realtor. She's like, this is what I'm going to say. And I was like, well, she's counted the cost, and she's also watched a lot of other people count the cost, maybe good or bad. And so I, I'm going I'm to lean on that a little bit, right? But we can count the cost and be like, no, it's not worth it. That, this buy, this thing is not worth it. Cost reveals what you're convinced of. Can I tell you that the Holy Spirit, part of his job is the one who convicts, which means he convinces us of the ways we shouldn't live and convinces us of the ways that we should live. And it means that you've got to count the cost. And as you begin to go, okay, Jesus, if I give you everything, if I look at all that I own and say, Jesus, it's yours. Jesus, if I go to my kids who are like, mom, you never used to make us to come to church. How come you're doing it now? I'm counting the cost. There might be some frustrating moments, some, but I'm counting the cost that I believe the word. If they are planted, they'll flourish. I'm just going to count the cost, and I'm just convinced that this is the way to do it. And can I tell you something? If you could go find somebody, I dare you, go find someone on their deathbed who lived their whole life for Jesus, serving him, and in their last few moments was going, I wish I would have never done it. It 
was it worth it? I'll walk away right now. Find one. I'm not talking about some, I'm not talking about a 25-year-old who has a YouTube channel who got hurt in church, and because church hurt them, they plastered it on Jesus, and now they've just walked away. No, no, no. I'm talking about someone who has faithfully served Jesus all the days of their life. Find me one who says it wasn't worth it. Because when you count the cost, you're convinced. You're convinced. And here's the beautiful part about the salt that he's talking about. He says, he talks about it being seasoning. Do you understand when you say yes to Jesus and you count the cost, do you know what he's doing with you? He's seasoning your school. He's seasoning your job. He's seasoning your neighborhood. He's seasoning your household. I don't know if you've ever been here, but I've been here. God, why am I here? God, what the heck are you doing? God, you have forgotten me. And I feel like God's response after I was reading this scripture, he goes, oh, yeah, that place just needed a little flavor. My bad. Oh, oh, you wanted comfortable. I'm sorry. My Holy Spirit's the comforter, so I thought I could put you in uncomfortable situations because I needed to bring salt into the earth because I needed to sprinkle some seasoning in that place. There's some people who needed the flavor of God's kingdom and needed to find out that everything that they were at, had appetite for wasn't satisfying them, and I needed to get someone in that job or in that school to show them when you taste and see that the Lord is good, there's nothing better than Jesus. There's nothing better than Jesus. So why are you there? Probably because God was like, it just needed a little flavor, baby. I'm sorry. I couldn't leave that place like that any longer because I got work to do. Counting the cost reveals that he's worth it. You know what the beautiful part about that is? It shows you that you are worth it. That's what Jesus did. What he did, he said, you're worth it. Read this last scripture with me. Mark chapter 14. While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, this was a man, you see in Mark chapter 1 verse 40, this was a man who was healed of leprosy and invites Jesus over to his house. He was reclining at the table, and a woman came in with an alabaster vial, a very expensive perfume of pure nard. Nard is a unique kind of fragrance that's found in certain areas of India, and this thing would have cost about a year's worth, a, a salary, a year's salary is how much this one thing of perfume would have cost. So just process that, okay? Young people, let's just, let's just lay it at 70000 a year, $70,000 worth of perfume. She walks in to a meal with all men, mind you. She shouldn't be barging in, not her place in this culture, but I love Jesus, right? Jesus is literally the one, and we see this later in, the, the, in Paul's letters. It's not, you know, men are more important. No, no, no. In Christ, there's neither male nor female. In Christ, we're all one. And so she barges in because she's had an encounter with Jesus. What you don't know about this woman is her name's Mary, and her brother was Lazarus, and Lazarus was dead, and she watched Jesus call her dead brother out of a grave who had been in there for four days. She barges into the room with this very expensive perfume, and it says she broke the vial and poured the perfume over his head. It could have been thought that this perfume was passed down generations, that it is to be used for something very special, like maybe like a wedding, because weddings were like week-long celebrations. Like this was not something to just flippantly use. And it, when, when it says she broke it, it's because the way the vial was sealed is it only, it could be broken to be poured out. There was no way, to, it wasn't like I know in the Bible we had alabaster jars, but in Santa Rosa County, we got mason jars, y'all. There's no unscrewing the lid off this thing. 
It was sealed until the time of use, and then it had to be broken. She broke the vial, poured the perfume over his head, but there were some, there were some indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume could have been sold for over 300 denarii, which would be a year's wage, and the money given to the poor, and they were scolding her. I need you to see the picture. I need you to not read the Bible and think the Bible's boring. I need you to see it like a Netflix scene. I need you to see that this woman just barged into a dinner of a man who's been healed of leprosy. There are other followers of Jesus in the room. Disciples are in the room. And she walks in, and she breaks a vial of perfume, pours it, and begins to worship him. It's interesting that she poured it on his head because from the Hebrew culture, that's actually something you would do to anoint someone. And so we know that Jesus is the anointed one. She pours this on Jesus, and they begin to freak out. And in the moment, they begin to say, what are you doing, woman? Get out of here. Are you, you wasted that? Are you kidding me? First off, don't you ever talk to a lady like that ever. Second of all, don't you ever do it when Jesus is in the room. What you doing? Oh, lost your mind. Jesus is about to jack slap somebody. <sighs> Peter, probably. Anyways, if you don't know nothing, Peter, <laughs> thank God for grace. Anyways, I needed the very same thing. Why has this been wasted? This could have been sold. They were scolding her, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Every time you feel scolded, every time you feel like something comes against you for saying yes to Jesus, you don't need to be your vindicator. You don't need to get revenge. The Bible says, the Lord says, vengeance is his. Let him be the one who advocates for you. Jesus tells him, leave her alone. Leave her alone. And look what he goes on and says. He says, um, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a good deed for me. For you always have the poor with you. In other words, I need you to understand the language in the Greek here actually is Jesus kind of denoting to them, then how come you haven't done it before? Oh, if this should have been sold to the poor, how come I haven't seen you do anything about that? He's, and so he says, you'll always have the poor with you. But look what he says to them. And whenever you want, you can do good to them. In other words, why haven't you done it? But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly I say to you, Whenever the gospel is preached in the entire world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. This woman barges into this house with this costly oil. And, and I don't know about you, but she's had this encounter with Jesus. Her brother was dead, and now he's alive. When you experience something in your life, when your marriage was on the rocks and the divorce papers were in hand, and God stepped in and did something. When your kid was sick and the doctor said there was nothing they could do about it, and God stepped in and brought a healing, if you're in the middle of something right now, just as Lauren was sharing, going, God, where are you? Where are you? And you keep hanging on. Sometimes it's not the response after the miracle. Sometimes it's the response before. And here's the beauty about counting the cost. It's counting the cost to say, Jesus, if you never did another thing for me, you're worthy of it all. I can imagine Mary seeing this on the shelf or on the floor in the corner of her room after Lazarus being raised, late at night, sitting in the house, thinking about the goodness of Jesus. Her eye would catch that jar. She would think to herself, that's the most costly thing I have. And Jesus is worth far more than that. What he's given me, I... I 
that's not even enough. And I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, I don't know if she just continued to have this conversation within herself. I don't know if she talked with her sister, Martha, and was like, hey, I, th- I think I'm going to go do this. And her, Martha going, mm-mm. If you know anything about another story, Martha was kind of complaining about her anyways. But she, she grabs the jar one day. She knows where Jesus is. He, he's at Simon the leper's house. Oh, yeah, he's been healed. He's encountered Jesus. I, I could go in there and do this. But she goes in going, I don't know what the response is going to be. I don't know what's going to happen. And she walks in. She's counted the cost that Jesus is worth all of this to be poured out. As I was praying for today in this moment, and what I believe God wants to do in our church and in your lives individually, I need you to understand. To take another step with Jesus is going to cost you more than where you are right now. Have you counted the cost? Because here's what happened as she walks in. She goes in. I'm not going to break because I don't want to clean up glass. She breaks the jar, and it says she pours it on his head. And then another gospel actually says that she gets on her knees. And the way Jesus would have been sitting at a table, his feet would have been behind him. So as she would have poured it, it would have run down his hair, gotten to his feet. And it says she began to weep, and she began to wipe his feet with her hair. And she's just worshiping him. Like, you need to see this scene. This scene's kind of kind of crazy. And the guys are going, what in the world? What is this extravagant worship? Can you believe she would waste that much stuff? Hear me right now. You know she didn't waste a drop. This is what I've learned about things that are wasted. When you waste something, it usually happens on accident. Leftovers in the fridge. Ah, I forgot those were there. What's that stuff, that white stuff? Was that there before? No, I don't think. Is that a cheese from, from Laha? No. I don't think that's supposed to be there. Just, ah, I wasted it. I forgot that was there. Wasting happens on accident. Pouring happens on purpose. She poured on purpose because she had counted the cost. I'm here to tell you today, I don't know where you are with Jesus. I don't know if you've said yes. If you haven't, look at me. I've counted the cost. He's worth it every single time. There's others of you in the room. I hear, I talk with you often. You've talked about how God's just blessed you with this church showing up. And we just want you to know that's not, that's not me and Shauna. That's not our team who packed their bags and moved here. No, that's just Jesus. I promise you this. If we would have said no, he'd have got somebody. Because he was ready to move. He was ready to do a new thing, a fresh thing. But I want you to know if you've said, man, there's just been a blessing. I'm asking you to count the cost for the next place that he's taking you. The next place that he's taking our church. Because when we count the cost... You just get to a place in your life where, Jesus, everything I've got is yours. However you want to use it, every conversation, my future, young people, high schoolers who are thinking about college, man, go after that dream, that career, but submit it to the Lord. God, use this however you want to use it. And don't you dare let anybody say, like, hey, maybe kind of, like, back off on some of that stuff. That might get you, like, in some weird spots with some professors. or No, 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 no. Bold, confident, knowing that he's worth it families. You're in this place going, hey, I don't even know what it looks like to build my family on the things of God. My kids are already kind of grown and and we've never done it before. It's not too late to start. It's the perfect time to count the cost. You know what's beautiful? If you're in this room, you've got middle schoolers, high schoolers. See, for me, I've got a six-year-old, a one-year-old, and infants on the way. Shauna and I have counted the cost. Summer Kate doesn't get to come to me when she's eight years old and be like, dad, I don't really know about the whole church thing. Cool. 
counted the cost. This is worth it. All the days of your life. When you, when you get old enough and you get 18, you want to make a decision? But here's what I know. We, we, we've, got, we've got too much vision and too much from the Lord. She's going to taste and see that he's good from a young age. She already has. She came to us at a pool. was like, I want to give my life to Jesus. We were just swimming. She got baptized in the moment. Like, she's tasted. She's seen. And she just needs to be in a church that is full of life and doesn't decline and die, but stays on the rise and stays vibrant, running after the things of God. Amen? But you know what's beautiful about if you have middle high school students and you've never built your life on Jesus, like your family, you can count the cost together. What an incredible privilege and opportunity to look across a dinner table and say, hey, I know this is going to be different, but I think there's some things that need to shift. Someone in our small group this past week said that they implemented on their way home or on their way to school, taking their kids, just beginning to pray. They said their kid at first was like, what are we doing? And dad was just like, this is what we're doing now. I know maybe we haven't done it before all the time, but this is what we do. This is a new normal. I've counted the cost. It's worth it. It's worth it. So as I began to prepare this message, I heard something that has literally just, I haven't been able to shake it. I found myself in my closet weeping, worshiping Jesus. I found myself in my car sitting in parking lots, just literally going, Jesus, you're so worth it. I'm in the hardest season of my life. I didn't know what pastoring a church would look like for Shauna and I. And then twins, I know a double portion blessing, but my goodness, the timing did not seem like any double portion blessing. It's like, God, what are you doing? I've counted the cost and he's worth it. And I heard this statement. Mary waltzed in. She barged into the house. She, she breaks open the alabaster jar. Now it's too late. You can't seal it again. It's either all or nothing in this moment. And she pours it all out on Jesus, weeping, weeping from the fact that, Jesus, you did this for my brother. My life is never the same. Maybe even feeling some of what we as humans do feel. What could they be thinking? What could they be saying? But, Jesus, you're worth it. It's all for you. And I can just imagine Jesus in the moment, his response being, and I'm all for you. You're worth it. You're worth what I'm about to do on the cross because you've seen me as worth it I am telling you daughter you're worth it don't worry about what they say don't worry about who's scolding you I can I can shut the mouths of lions I'm telling you that you're worth it I'm going to the cross I'm gonna carry my cross I've counted the cost for you I see that you've counted the cost for me and this is what was said and I couldn't I couldn't shake it he said I was listening to a pastor and he said when she left the house that day she poured it all out on Jesus. This costly perfume, this aroma that would catch anyone's attention in a culture like this. People would walk by and it would turn heads, be, girl, what, she, what is that? And the pastor said, it was all for Jesus. But she left smelling just like him. When you pour it all out on Jesus, he doesn't leave you empty. He impacts your life too. When you find yourself in the car worshiping because he's worth it. When you just got let go from a job. When you got out of the doctor and you got a report that you weren't expecting. When a family in our church called me last night, mom crying, their daughter had a seizure. And I immediately just begin to text people in our church, hey, begin to pray. Begin to pray. We're storming heaven right now. Because we've counted the cost, he's worth it. This family's recently gotten back into church, fully invested, serving. And I just began to think to myself, the enemy would want to use something like this. Oh, you've gotten all, you, you said Jesus is worth it, huh? Look what happened. 
But that's what counting the cost means. He is worth it. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what, what you're feeling he's calling you next to. But I'm telling you that if you'll pour it out all on him, you'll never be the same again. You'll never be the same again. And I'm not talking about just give your life to Jesus and go to heaven. No, I'm talking about after you've given your life to Jesus, you find your place in a constant place of just pouring it all out because he's so worthy. And in, and in, and in every season, he's doing a new thing. He's calling you out farther and farther. You feel like you're having to trust him more and more, but you're realizing more and more, this is so worth it. This is the greatest adventure of my life. There's nothing like the voyage of following Jesus. There's nothing better. There's no career promotion that would make me sacrifice what Jesus has done. He's worth it. Will you stand to your feet this morning? I just believe in these next few moments as we begin prepare to close. We're only going to go another five minutes or so, but I just really sense in my spirit. As this word was stirring within me, I called Jonathan and I said, hey, man, there's, there's something on my heart. There's these lyrics. And honestly, our team, like, there's just no one better. Um, I know there's other great, I'm just saying, I'm biased, but I know that I could just throw lyrics at them and they literally could write something and put something to it and just go. And I just sent something and I, I couldn't stop singing it. I've counted the cost. You're worth it, you're worthy. I've counted the cost. You're worth it, you're worthy. The, these lyrics are gonna be simple. I don't know where you're at in, in whatever sphere of life, but what I'm telling you is, if you count the cost, it's going to cost you everything. But just know that he gave everything because he knows that his way is better. He's a way maker. So if you're in here today and you're struggling with an addiction, maybe there's some unforgiveness or bitterness in your heart, something going on in your family, Count the cost. He's worth it. Give it to him. If you're in here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, today's the day. If you're in here today and you're in pain and you're like, man, I've been praying. I'm going to tell you what Jesus said. Keep on knocking. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Don't you stop. If you're in here today and you're like, I I've never built my life on the things of Jesus. I've just gone to church and check checked the box. Today's the day to begin counting the cost. And I'm telling you, he's worth it. Just on the cross. And Jesus going, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. But the revelation there is Jesus going, but I know what I'm doing. I know, I know what I'm doing. I know that this is what they need. So wherever you are today, heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm just going to pray. And then the team's going to lead us. Man, if you need to come to the altar, if you need someone to pray with you, I'll be standing to my left, your right. But I just believe today is, I think God has just done something so special and sweet this summer in our church, and a foundation has been laid that it's Jesus and always Jesus. But I think that there's like a building that's begun to happen. It's not you just come to church, but I think he's wanting to build something from Monday to Saturday in your home, in your life, a life of discipline in the word of God, a life of prayer, a life of you listening to your spouse instead of just responding in anger and frustration. I just think that he wants to do a new kind of building in your life. And so, Jesus, we count the cost right now. Lord, I pray that every person would just have a specific encounter with you, Jesus. This is not just someone telling them what to do. No, this is your truth being declared, and then, God, them encountering you, just like young people did this past week. 
And God, these young people in tears going, no, no, I encountered God. And there's no one that can take that away from me. Jesus, in this moment, as we begin to count the cost, as we begin to pour it out because you're worth it, Jesus, would you just reveal to us what that next step is, what it looks like to build our family on prayer, to build our family on the word. God, for college-age students to say, no, 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 I'm not looking to the left or to the right, that I'm building my future on Jesus and Jesus alone. I don't care about culture. I don't care about preference. I'm looking for purpose. And so, Lord, I thank you right now that you're just revealing, Jesus, that you are worth it every time, every time. Come on, just begin to count the cost. Just begin to count the cost. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to check us out on thevoyage.church to stay updated on everything God is doing in our city.